Welcome to The Drift, your resource on all things business strategy, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I'm your host, Aloiza, and today's guest is Lynette Kraft, Chief Science Officer of the American College of Sports Medicine. Lynette completed her bachelor's degree in psychology at Indiana University, her master's degree in exercise science at Arizona State, her PhD in kinesiology at Michigan State, and postdoctoral training in health psychology at Boston University School of Medicine. Throughout her career, Lynette has conducted extensive research to better understand the exercise to clinical depression relationship, the psychosocial factors predictive of exercise participation among women, and the effects of exercise on the cancer-related symptom cluster of depression, pain, and fatigue in breast cancer survivors, among many others. Now, as a leader in scientific and research activities at ACSM, Lynette focuses on further developing her team to support the growth of ACSM's scientific research strategies. Welcome, Lynette. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we'll go ahead and dive right in. Can you share with us a little background on yourself and what got you started? Sure. So I'm from Indiana. I'm from the Midwest, and I grew up playing all kinds of sports and came from a very physically active family. And so as I moved into uh, you know, college, I knew I wanted to do something around athletes and athlete health. And I wasn't sure what that was exactly. Um, but as I continued my education, I, I really became very excited about mental health and athlete mental health and the ways in which exercise uh, benefits our mental health and the ways in which physical activity helps everyone, whether you're an athlete or not, just being active. And so I went down the path of uh, a PhD and I became a researcher. I also did some sports psychology performance work uh, with athletes. And the more I did, you know, my, my interest grew and evolved like everyone. And so uh, I sort of got really excited about talking to people about being physically active and maintaining a healthy lifestyle. And so that's, that sort of led me out of academia and back to the American College of Sports Medicine. And this was actually the first uh, organization I joined as a student, as a master's student. So to come full circle and be able to work for ACSM now and, and lead the science activities, it's, it's been really exciting and fun. And I get to talk to all kinds of people now, not just athletes, but uh, the average person, the not so average person, uh, lots of people in industry. Uh, we have a lot of different sponsors. So it's a very diverse sort of day today. And I'm really enjoying it. Oh my goodness. There's so much to unpack here too. And I also didn't realize that you played sports as a, as a child. And that's definitely going to be something that I want to touch on too, because I think a lot of us can attest to the transformative power that sports has, especially on young women, and how that ultimately evolved into your professional career. And um, goodness, so much to be said here. So I think, you know, something that I really am curious about is, um, you know, the landscape of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. You know, there's so many social and cultural factors, and to be frank, they might just be more unconscious bias than anything, but ultimately it's pushing women away from the industry in itself. So can you speak to any personal experiences or anecdotes that you've acquired on addressing and providing solutions to these barriers? Yeah, for sure. And I think um, I'm going to put in a plug right away. If if people are interested in STEM correct or STEM uh, occupations, 
Uh, if you haven't seen the movie Picture a Scientist, if you haven't seen that yet, that documentary, that's everyone should see that. And it really speaks to sort of the discrimination uh, that women often experience in both science and medicine. And I will say for my own personal background, um, yeah, I think all women have experienced this in, in STEM careers where sometimes you're the only female in the room, which makes you feel like, oh, nobody else here really looks like me. Do I belong here? It's a subconscious thing, but as women, we sort of question ourselves sometimes. I've been the only woman in the room and then been asked by the men to take notes, even though I was the only one in the room with a PhD. Um, and then there's there's all the, like you said, sort of the unconscious, sort of subtle ways that I think women just, they hear, they feel that perhaps, you know, their place isn't in STEM. They should be doing something else. And that's unfortunate because we know that having all kinds of different opinions, all kinds of different thoughts, uh, that makes anything we're doing more rich, more engaging. Um, and we usually come up with better solutions if we have a lot of different ideas at the table. So yeah, I have experienced some of the barriers. I'm single, so I haven't experienced the same things that other people have experienced. For example, I have several colleagues who they started in STEM careers, but when it got time to have a family, they found themselves sort of not able to balance everything. Um, I will say I have been fortunate, though, that uh, at some of the institutions that I worked at, they had STEM programs just for women and taught us a lot about how to navigate what you're going to experience, how to navigate your work-life balance, how to negotiate like a man, not a woman, because we do do it differently. Um, so, yeah, I have experienced that. And, you know, like I said, I've been I've been fortunate that I've been able to participate uh, in a few programs that were really helpful. That's incredibly enlightening. And I think something that is inc is very familiar to the world at the moment is the shift from the in-person work to more of that hybrid remote environment. And with the hybrid remote environment, goodness, and it could be too that from my own personal experiences and, and seeing some other fellow colleagues, when you are a woman and you're a mother working from home, there's so many different things that you're working through and so many different responsibilities that you are tasked with. So as I'm sure, it may even create an additional level of challenges to be able to come into the industry if they weren't already involved. So I think it's incredibly helpful. You're exactly right that the learning modules, the workshops, the seminars, anything to kind of grasp more of a, more of like this educational aspect of the opportunities that they that lie ahead. That is incredibly helpful. It is really helpful. And I think sometimes we don't even know our own biases, right? And so mm -hmm. as a as a woman, we may certain we may have certain biases related to how we interact with our male colleagues, how we negotiate for jobs, how we manage our, our time. And not to say that how we do it is wrong, it may just be different. And and being self aware of that, I think is really helpful too. Absolutely. And I'm I'm curious because I'm, I'm assuming that being a part of an active family growing up, there was probably a great deal of mentorship that supported you along the way. And I think mentorship in itself can play such a critical role in advancing women, not just in STEM, but ultimately any industry that they decide to be involved in. 
So as you've navigated the space, especially coming into your professional career and starting off with ACSM, um, it's it's fascinating to see how you've evolved now into this incredible, incredible thought leader and executive in the science sector. So can you shine a light on the resources or perhaps even mentors that helped you along the way? Sure. And I think, you know, going back to childhood and sports, you know, my, my parents were active, but my mom was a business owner. She was a small business owner. So I had this, I had this role model of, you know, some woman who was doing it all, right? She was balancing career and family life. Um, my dad was very much of the mindset that like, you, you can go play with the boys. I don't care. Like, be as good as they are, and, and they'll want you to play with them, right? And so I remember going through junior high and high school sports on girls' teams, but oftentimes the, the boys' teams would let me practice with them. And, and as you can imagine, that was really a benefit to me because I had a different type of competition. I was playing against people who, you know, moved differently on the court. So, you know, I think from an early, early on, like, it was important for me to understand that Women can do the same things that men do, um, at least athletically. You know, you can participate in the same way. I will say that when I got to science and education and, you know, doing a PhD and that path, you do see less female uh, colleagues. There are less women in those programs. There are are generally fewer um, faculty teaching the classes that are women. Um, So you start to be inundated with this vision of your workplace that, again, doesn't really represent you totally. Um, And that can be a challenge. And I think one thing that was really helpful for me when I was a master's student, my advisor was male, uh, but I had a really good friend who was also going through a program and her advisor was female. And that woman took me under her wing And to this day, she is still a mentor. You know, I still call her. I still see her probably once or twice a year. You know, if I have a question about anything, you know, she's a go-to for me. And I think seeing her be a successful faculty member in a science area, see how she navigated her career very successfully um, in a large university, that was all really, really, really helpful. And I think having those people around you along the way, you know, it definitely helps. And I will say that as I progressed in my career, there were more and more men who stepped up as mentors too. And I think if we ever want to have change, men have to be part of the conversation and men have to be part of the solution. And so I think it's great that we have uh, female mentors. We should be doing that for you know, I should be mentoring younger folks, and I do. But it's important to have male mentors as well. And I was really lucky to have that uh, during my postdoc period when I was in um, Boston. Not only was my advisor male, but then I had a, a faculty member in another department who really, you know, stepped in, same thing, put me under his wing and provided a lot of opportunities that I wouldn't have been able to engage with otherwise. So, the, the role of a mentor is really, really important, not only to see somebody like yourself doing what you want to do, but just helping you to navigate again and to providing you with opportunities that maybe you wouldn't get otherwise. And being that sounding board when you're thinking about, ooh, do I want this or that? 
Um, mentors are really, 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 really important. Can't say enough about mentors. <laughs> I completely, completely agree. Because if you think about it, the one of the biggest roles that uh, the mentor could ultimately have is be able to share the challenges and obstacles that were faced. So that way, the next generation doesn't necessarily have to go through the same exact ob- obstacles and we can continue progressing. Is that right? Absolutely. And in fact, uh, the woman that I, I, I referenced, you know, I came to a career decision at one point and I called her and I'm like, I know this is totally different than what you do, but... I have this big decision to make. And she said, no, it's actually, it's not that different. And she gave me a personal example that really explained to me that she heard me. She knew what I was going through and she shared with me what worked well for her. She gave me some ideas that I might try in my situation. That was, that was, you know, situation altering, right? It was so helpful. So I'm so thankful for those mentors that I've had. And you're right. I think just can't say enough about, you know, having someone, you know, around you. And people often ask me like, well, how do you find a mentor? How how do you find a mentor? And I'm like, you know, that's a great question. Cause I felt like there was, there were just these people along my path that were willing to um, invest in me. And luckily I was, I was cognizant enough to let them and to say like, okay, I'll take your advice. Um, but I read the book, uh, Cheryl, what is it? Cheryl Sandberg's book about lean in. And I thought, oh, she was so lucky. She had so many wonderful mentors. But then I thought about it and I thought, you know what? I've had a lot of really wonderful mentors too. Um, and sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to just say, I want a mentor. I'm going to go find me a mentor. Uh, that doesn't always happen organically. But I do think that there are people probably in every field who are the types of people who like to mentor who love to develop younger folks, who like to invest their time in others. And it's just being aware and keep your eye out for those people and then taking them off on their, their offers. I think sometimes we're hesitant to say like, okay, but I know they're really busy and I don't really want to bother them. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to reach out, but you know, go for it. Like if somebody offers, take them up on it. <laughs> Definitely lean in. And you touched on an important note too. I think as majority of individuals advance into their professional career, for lack of better words, we have to let go of the ego and be able to take in additional support and mentorship along the way. And somewhere along those lines, um, you know, thinking about more of the career aspect, I believe today women make up about 27% of the STEM workforce. And that represents it's a significant increase from 1970, and I believe at the time it was only 8% of STEM jobs. Now, future-facing, I believe we are forecasted at around a 10.5% growth from 2020 to 2023 in STEM fields. So in your perspective, how would you encourage on the other side employers to ensure that they are providing equitable opportunities? Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, I think it has to be very purposeful. It, you know, it's, I don't know, you post a job and like applications come in and then it seems like it's all very, uh, oh, this is the best person and this is the person I'm going to hire and things like that. But I do think it has to be purposeful, you know, to make sure like for every, you know, three men that you have that have great, great qualifications? Are you finding three women that have great qualifications that you want to consider as well? I think part of it is making your workplace 
um, you know, diverse and comfortable for different types of people. So is it a culture that really embraces women and men of different you know, races, of different backgrounds, of different beliefs, of different abilities? I think you know, being purposeful about those types of things are really important as well. I think also, you know, again, that we know that women, girls drop, start dropping out of STEM early. You know, by the time they're in junior high or high school, they're starting to become less interested for, again, for a variety of reasons. And then we also know that there are different stages in a career where, where women are starting to sort of fall out or step back. And so I think really providing opportunities for your employees to, um, you know, grow, learn how to navigate these changes, providing support for the different stages that people are in. You know, I think we do need to do a good job when, when girls are younger. But for me personally, it's very disheartening to see, you know, people I went to school with who are outstanding scientists who at some point decide, yeah, this just isn't working for me anymore. And I think, oh, what a loss because this person was so good at what they do. Um, so I do think, as I mentioned earlier, I had the opportunity at some of the institutions I worked for to really they provided a lot of support for women in, in STEM. And as an employer, that's something that you can do. And it doesn't have to cost a lot of money, but there needs to be a discussion. And I think a, recogni a, recogn a recognition or um, an acknowledgement that women in STEM may face things that are a little different than men in STEM. Um, so that, you know, again, you're being purposeful, you're providing support, you're helping your employees navigate. Um, when you think about the time and resource you invest in getting a new hire and then getting them trained and getting them started, you certainly don't want to lose all of that by having the person step out. You know, And then you're also losing the resource that they contribute with their diversity of thought. And, and so I think there are things that, that employers can do. And again, I think that it's not just enough to say, oh, here's a program for women so that you can figure out how to deal with, you know, your, your STEM career. But part of that program should be also educating men so that they understand, right? They're part of the solution. They have to be part of the solution. So I think there are things that, you know, employers can do for their male and female employees to sort of make the transition better and then hopefully retain folks, you know, at a higher rate. Yeah, you've really just actually touched on the entire employee life cycle, it seems like. And, and thinking about how we can further advance the industry and further advancing women into STEM, first, you got to be able to attract and recruit the right talent. And you just kind of mentioned it. It's really about educating the younger audiences and letting them know of the opportunities that could lie ahead so that we're able to advance that drop-off rate that we're currently experiencing with young women um, around that high school age before they choose a different career. And then on the other hand, once you actually are onboarding new talent, it's all about retaining the talent. And you kind of touched on that as well as far as making sure that we're providing equitable opportunities for both sides of the table, for both men and women, letting them know just how while yes, we are equal, we aren't made equally 
either. So it's important to be able to acknowledge those differences and be able to recognize them. So we are able to further as, as, um, as a team. Is that right? Yes, exactly. And I think, you know, I know one thing that, uh, we had talked about just you and I before the hand, before, before the, the, the cast was, you know, even for like women in athletics or sports, whether it's, you know, again, whether it's in the, in, whether it's in the workforce or whether it's, you know, in the sort of sporting arena. Yeah. Understanding that like women and men are different. They don't, they don't have to be the same. They each have their strengths. Um, but making sure there are people around them that look like them, that can mentor them, that the people who don't look like them appreciate and value the diversity that they're bringing to the table. Um, and just, yeah, I don't know. It's it's it sounds so much easier than it is, right? Just have this and do that, but it's it's a complex, you know, situation that we find ourselves in and so much of what we deal with as women in STEM, I think again is a little bit unconscious until somebody points it out. And the movie that I mentioned, um, Picture of Scientist, they they interviewed several of the men who were sort of highlighted in that film and, and they, they really weren't aware that the women were experiencing what they were, what they were experiencing. And and they said, you know, had I known that I would have approached it differently. So I think part of it is just, again, awareness, discussion, uh, supporting each other. Uh, I think, you know, if, if only half of the population gets to attain, you know, great heights in their career, then, then we're, all going to lose. And that's exactly right. Um, I really want to touch on your experiences back from the academia perspective and the extensive research that you actually conducted on the relationship between exercise and more of the clinical treatment. And also coupled with the fact that you also played sports as a young woman, I think it's such an interesting dynamic that lends you a really great perspective of the work that you're truly doing today. Thinking along those lines, women's sports, women in sports. In 1971, more than 7% of high school sports participants were girls. And by 2018, they actually counted for almost 43%. So incredible strides have been made. With an increase in girls' participation in sports, what have you seen? What are your perspectives on the industry's top strengths and also opportunities to ensure that we are providing the most effective care to female athletes? Yeah, I think one thing that I find really interesting um, in my job, we deal with a lot of large um, industry sponsors. So, you know, we get to have conversations with people like Google and Apple and Nike and Adidas. And, you know, we don't partner with all of them, but we get to have conversations with people. And I'm so impressed that more and more when I have a conversation with an executive or an upper level management person, you know, in some of these sport related industry jobs, they're women. And I was like, yes, finally. And so they're asking questions that pertain to women. Right. And I think we are starting finally to move away from, oh, let's take the research that we know on male athletes and just generalize it to female athletes because they're not the same. Right. And so I feel like the field, as far as research goes, we have a lot more information that is specific to women now, which is really helpful. 
I think when you look around, you see more women who are coaching. And so not only coaching their own gender, you know, right? Not only coaching young girls, but you have women coaching men now. I think when you look around on the healthcare team that's helping athletes, whether it be an athletic trainer or a sports psychologist or a sports medicine physician, you see more women now. And so I think that's really helpful for young girls as well. I mean, my whole sort of interest in what I'm doing came from being an athlete, right? I mean, I loved athletes. I loved sports. I loved being physically active. I knew how I felt when I was active. I knew how I felt when I wasn't very active. And to be able to like look around and see female coaches, female athletic trainers, female physicians, female dietitians, you know, the whole care uh, being represented with women, I think that's really empowering for young women. Um, it gives them a sense of belonging. Um, and so I think it's really important. And, and again, I love that when I get to talk to other executives, um, yes, it's still male dominated, but more and more, you know, and I know your own, your own experiences probably were along this line as well, that you're start starting to see more and more female executives in the health and wellness sort of fitness sport industry. Um, ACSM has its very first, for the first time ever, we have our CEO is a female. And so we've been around a long time. And so for me, that's very exciting that she's representing, she was a former division one athlete. So she's representing female executives. She's representing female athletes. Um, so that's very exciting. Oh my goodness. That's exactly, exactly. And you touched on such an interesting topic too, is um, we're seeing a lot more executives have more of that sport background. I think there's an interesting statistic out there. I think it's like 90% of female executives actually played sports, which we're seeing it in real time, especially between yourself and then also the CEO of ACSM. And you just really are, are nailing on the fact that sports is just such a transformative power, especially for young women. And in your work, you've personally evaluated how physical activity can impact mental performance. Mental performance in itself is finally, finally starting to become part of mainstream conversations. And we're seeing such these dynamic talents. Let's say, for instance, um, Simone Biles, and they have these incredible platforms and they're now really starting to leverage it to address and address the realities of mental performance and reducing the barriers and showing people that it's okay to have these conversations. So in your opinion, how can sports do better for girls' mental health? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you know, some of the things that I mentioned are, are already a good first step. Having coaches, having athletic trainers, having physicians who are also female. Uh, making sure that when we talk about an athlete and we think about trying to help that athlete, that we're not just taking research that was done on men and applying it to a young girl. Quite, totally different. It could be. It could be the totally same, right? But let's make sure before we... we automatically just assume. I think also, I mean, sports are a really great way to make you feel empowered. It helps you find your voice. And I think sometimes, you know, we get really caught up with the winning and losing aspect of sport. But I think, as you mentioned, sport is an incredible platform for personal development. 
um, particularly around young, young women. Um, and I think, yes, my mom, it's funny, my mom and I were just talking yesterday about Michael Phelps. He has a foundation now that where they're really focusing on mental health and athletes. And it's so, it's so long been needed. And I think it's really important to, re, to remind folks, like just because somebody is an athlete, they're a person first. And people have mental health problems and they have mental health concerns. And, you know, if we had an Olympic athlete who had diabetes, for example, and the athlete said, oh, you know what? I can't compete right now because I have to take care of my diabetes and my glucose and my insulin. Like we probably wouldn't think twice about it, right? I mean, it's something to manage. But when somebody says, oh, I'm having a mental health like issue right now that I need to attend to, it takes a lot of bravery, right? There still is a stigma associated with mental health, unfortunately. Um, and so I really applaud the athletes who are stepping out and saying like, look, I'm a person just like anybody else. I have some things I need to work on and take care of. And hopefully it normalizes it so that young girls and young boys who are coming through the ranks that they feel like it's not anything to be ashamed of. And it's, it seems more normal uh, because they see their role models and their athlete, you know, peers uh, experiencing and then describing and talking about, you know, kind of the challenges that they're going through. Yeah. And I think it really comes full circle to one of the initial things that you had mentioned about how ultimately if we're able to highlight, amplify, and champion the voices of those that actually are inside this industry and trying to make it for the better, then the ones that are listening, the ones that are watching are the future generation who will already feel like this is the normal. And that's exactly the right way to go about it. Absolutely. And I think it's such a parallel between, you know, sport and even like we were talking a STEM career, like having a role model who, you know, is sort of leading the way, somebody to mentor you, whether it's another athlete or it's a, a person on your health care team or in an employer employee relationship, maybe it's a coworker. And then, you know, just being really purposeful about having those discussions and promoting, um, you know, inclusion and diversity. Like we're all better if you're all here, right? So I think the, the, the sport and the executive world, I think they do, right? They're both very competitive. They're both, you know, there's only room for a very few at the top. So if you don't mentor the next, you know, generation of young women, there's not going to be a place for them up at the top, whether it's, you know, sports or executive leadership. Um, so I do think there are a lot of parallels. Absolutely. Well, along those lines, future facing, any exciting things coming up that we can expect from yourself? Oh, that's a good question. So, oh, yeah, well, I'm getting really excited about the Winter Olympics. And so that's not anything anybody that is listening to this is going to know about, but I'm just going to put it out there. I'm really excited. I love watching highly skilled people do what they do. Um, for me personally, I'm getting really interested. I'm a lifelong learner. So every three or four years, I decide like there's something new that I need to go and learn. And so part of my job at ACSM is science communication. So really trying to figure out a way to understand sort of complex scientific, you know, ideas and then distill them down 
uh, in a way that they make sense to somebody who's not a scientist. And I think the pandemic has really shown us that communication is really important and science communication is really important. And so I've been, I've been doing some learning and I've been taking some workshops on um, science communication. And I'm really hoping that in my role as an executive leader of this, of this organization focused in science, that I can do more science communication, uh, you know, in the, in the upcoming year, particularly to folks maybe who aren't familiar with our organization or don't have a reason to come and visit our website. Um, I'm hoping that I can figure out a way to make science really fun and engaging uh, and exciting so they'll want to come and, and learn more. Oh, that's so exciting. You definitely touched on two really incredibly admirable things. One is that we all know and believe words matter and words can make those emotional connections. And secondly, the fact that being over the years, you have just conducted such an extensive amount of research, you're actively learning. The learning and development never stops. So thank you so much for that. Sure. I think that's, you know, that's always sort of my parting my parting sort of bit of information or advice, I guess, for anyone is like, keep learning, right? Your, 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 your interests are going to continue to evolve during your career. So make sure your learning is keeping up with your interests. Amazing. Well, thank you, Lynette, for your time. And if you are looking to hear more about what's happening in the health, wellness, and sports industry, subscribe to this podcast or reach out to Lynette. And we'll catch you next time on The Drift.